0: This episode is hosted by Jordi Mon Companies. Check out the show notes to follow him on Twitter. Hello, Chris, and welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Uh, it's
1: great to be here and see you face the face at KubeCon in Amsterdam. Indeed. perfect weather. So it's also amazing.
0: Um, so, yeah, we're here at KubeCon uh, Europe 2023, a record setting uh, event. And you just gave the uh, keynote. Yeah. So, congrats on that opening welcome keynote. It's been a while since I've been up on the stage. I like to prefer prefer to be the man behind the curtain, but uh, all good. Uh, you You know, know this well, you had a huge audience in front of it in front of you. Uh, Um, more than 10,000 people have uh bought a ticket for this event, and you had a full room there, so you're not nervous. Uh, so congrats. Next. Must have been the uh, Amsterdam uh, mushrooms this morning. I guess. <laughs> it's,
1: uh, it was good. It was a beautiful, uh, it was just, to me, it was great. It truly felt like the first conference that we've had that I uh, would truly feel like almost post pandemic. I feel yeah. like everyone's guard was a little bit down and it was just, it just had that, like, I think I, I fed off that,
0: that energy. So, why is it record setting? What happened here that makes it special? The face the, the so, points great question, because, you know, a few months ago we
1: were a little bit worried that, oh, is anyone actually going to show up to this because we're in this weird global recession. But I think what's truly happening here is, you know, cloud native is kind of entering its next phase of maturity. Right. So if you kind of look at the uh, attendance, you know, over 10,000 people here physically on site, I think we have another three, maybe 4,000, probably virtually I'll go line nice. the on numbers, but it's a lot, a lot of folks. If you look at, actually dive in, I would see these are your kind of later stage, companies that are showing up. So we had 58% brand new attendees, have never been to a KubeCon, any CNC related event before. And you know, I was kind of looking at the kind of company profiles. And these are your, your like alliances you know, of the worlds, you know, Mercedes-Benz, great, you know, great, you know, company, but these are just not your traditionally like tech forward, crazy early adopters. These are more late, you know, adopters companies. Also at our keynote today we have some new Platinum members joined. You know, CL InfoSys to some of the largest, you know, companies out there that do a lot of consulting and services for a lot of these later stage companies. So we're just kind of at this thing where a lot of cool innovation happening at KubeCon will always, always be there, but we're getting this next wave of like companies yeah. that are finally moving to the cloud, using open source, taking advantage of technology, which is, which is awesome.
0: I could not agree more. I just had chats with people from the Swedish government, wow, from the Spanish government that are thrilled and using Kubernetes already and in- more pockets, but yeah. that that is like the green sprouts of of know, yeah, like the late stage adopters of of, cloud, of of any new technology. Yeah, it's why well,
1: I was in Sweden not so long ago as part of my kind of crazy you know of tour the last few months, and I really I, I met some. I think the Swedish government was had its own like Kubernetes distro that they were building, which is like pretty insane that a government is doing this. And definitely, anytime a government's evolved and in software, is generally more that later
0: later stage yeah. Uh, adoption. Yeah. Okay, but we actually. Because you are the CTO <clears throat> the Cloud Native, Native Computing Foundation, that gives you a perfect spot to well understand the landscape, uh, you know, from 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 a high position and from 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 a from a perfect. Pers- You've got perfect perfect perspective for that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'm here actually to talk about the document that you released on January earlier this year, yeah. which is your predictions about twenty twenty three. Because it's it's actually brilliant. You can find it in Chris's LinkedIn. I yep. linked it in the uh show notes but i'll also do so um um uh I'll, I'll also um you can also find it in chris's uh, website um the first thing i want to talk upon touch upon is the the cloud native ides yep. which is something that you predict is going to explode and is already growing right so what can you can you i mean this is probably a oxford dis- dictionary definition but uh I, I, would you be kind enough to give us a sort of like a high level definition of what is an IDE? What does it entice? Because it seems to be expanding in a way. Yeah. And also what's an editor? What are the differences between those? Because yeah. I feel there's plenty of people that are happy with Vim and would not move away from that. Yeah. So what kind of, your prediction is about cloud IDEs grow, exploding. So what kind of user is behind those pushing that yeah, adoption? So, you know, like IDE versus editor, you know, a lot of in my days, you know, uh, started obviously started my
1: career as an engineer. Use a lot of Vim back in the day, but Emacs eventually got rid of it with the Vim and eventually discovered things like Eclipse back in the day. Mm-hmm. The whole thing about an IDE is integrated development environment. You have a huge extensive ecosystem of different tools that support different languages, extensions, integrate with things. Those things you generally, you don't see necessarily in like a traditional simple editor. Yes, there's like plugins for Vim and so on, but it's generally not as thorough as you would see in, in, a, in an IDE and the whole cloud You know, native or cloud IDE is all about having IDEs that are basically provisioned for you based on your specific needs, right? Whether it's you know, hey, I'm working on a particular project, Uh, maybe it's like a SaaS-based service, and I'm contributing this thing. It will automatically provision you everything you need to start contributing. All your settings, all the stuff that you basically need to not worry about. Maybe even does pre-build to ensure that you have a a kind of like a hot you know uh environment already available for you so you don't actually have to go kick out and build something locally and set everything up on your machine so it's it's truly about you know giving you on demand a cloud native id that is there ready for you to actually start contributing so you don't actually have to organize set up everything else and it kind of gets you basically from zero to immediately be able to do a pull request or contribution very very quickly like that to me is like the fundamental kind of um you know difference between like let's call it a basic editor an id and then like a
0: cloud uh you know but what i mean this probably is a question that is difficult to answer because yeah i mean maybe this is a yeah. question for the architect of vim or yeah. anyone yeah. extremely familiar with vim yeah. or, or any other editors but but um i was wondering why you just could uh, uh, put vim in container is that, is that the only problem? Is that the get port of uh, our containerized and the- No, you could maybe do like an ephemeral, like, Hey, I have a, you
1: know, a, I give people a local vim and potentially fully configured, but there's a whole other things around like ensuring that, you know, Hey, there's usually a build system associated with kind of that you're working with. So part of a cloud native IDs ensures that whatever you're building and targeted against is also running. So it's not just purely just like the editor, okay. right? it's all the other stuff that it kind of encompasses for you to actually deliver. Your feature or fix or thing that generally you're just not going to get it purely with 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 an editor. So if you look at folks like Gitpod, Dev zero all these like they're generally integrating kind of that full uh experience. Um, as okay. So to my point
0: before, the definition of IDE yep. ten years ago yep. to now yep. it means several things more. It has expanded. There's yep. more things in yep. it. So you know, it's broader. Uh, there's a limit, I guess, cause otherwise you could call GitLab an IDE and it's way more than that. But yeah, I guess an editor, a bit of compute, a bit yeah. of caching yeah. of the build system or whatever. What else? What, what are, what's the ephemerality, why, why is that benefit to developers in cloud native space? So I think ephemerality is just like, you know, a, there's a better, you
1: know, I think a security model. If you're basically, it's kind of like containers, you rip and replace them. They come back. It's just more secure if you're constantly, you know. Doing that, uh, in in my perspective, is kind of one of the reasons, you know, containers, I think, got popular uh, in general. Um, The other kind of interesting thing is you kind of have, um, the the way I kind of look at this is, uh, at the end of the day, development is kind of like collaborative, right? Like, you know, you're working with developers, maybe all the world or your your, your local team. And, you know, it's almost like a multiplayer, you know, game. And I think what you're seeing happen, especially with this cloud native, you know, IDE type movement is essentially... Turning kind of like a multiplayer thing, where it's you know you know how like Figma basically took yeah. Photoshop and made it multiplayer, yeah. Like yes. That is now happening with IDEs and clouded. Like it's going to be a matter of time where like GitLab, GitHub, all great, but eventually what's going to happen is you're going to support this type of stuff where everyone's able to work kind of in real time, doing things, builds are kind of kicking off, and you're just able to kind of all work together kind of seamlessly. So that like. That Figma moment is coming
0: for okay. for 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 IDEs, for cloud IDs. Oh, that's a beautiful metaphor, because I do like Figma and Penpot and all these Oh yeah. Figma. It's amazing. Yeah. You're... <laughs> but wait, but ephemerality has to trade off of once you've settled upon a sort of like yep. a old process, yep. you do want caching and you do yep. you, you don't want to get rid of that environment, yep. right? So eventually it has to pass to uh ephemerality, ephemerality yeah. of the ID has to be ditched for a permanent thing for, for sure. But you know, that build is happening like
1: behind the scenes, right? Like some servers or cloud is constantly building things and making it available. So okay. the developer, when, when you do a developer goes, attaches themselves to maybe debugging a session or, or tag teaming with another developer in a pull request, all that stuff's built behind the scenes, they don't themselves don't have to kind of do it. So it's kind of like if you go old school, if you remember screen, screen, you'd like watch the stuff is running, you attach new screen, all the stuff's already for you. It's like, maybe that's a bad metaphor, but like, you know, that's kind of yeah, what's going well, on. Like all that stuff is, 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 is available, built and, and ready to, to go. You yourself don't have to kind of clone and figure uh, everything out and you don't have to like fight about settings and, yeah. and all these things. So yeah, I think the, the figma moment for sure is coming for, for developer IDEs and, and collaboration. We're not there yet, but it is, it is, it is coming.
0: And this that we were talking about are the sort of like benefits of cloud IDs for, consumers for software engineers developers and so forth but but it's also a benefit for the people creating these IDs correct at great at big enterprises right because they can they, they know what they are spinning up they know that they can you know sort of like um firewall the creation of IDs with a policy so if it's compliant then the the id does get created or not spin up and so forth so it's a mutual
1: it's a a little bit more secure in some ways you know like historically a lot of banks back in the day would like lock down their development environments wouldn't let people bring laptops home yes it's kind of basically enabling a more modern version of that so you know maybe people had like fully locked down, you know, cloud, uh, ID environments, maybe the whole solar winds thing potentially wouldn't have, it would be maybe a little bit hard. Like there, there, there's all these things that I think, you know, people will look at like, wow, we should have done this a long, you know, time ago, because it actually is more secure and, you know, companies inherently like control, you know, maybe developers less so. So I think you'll see a lot of this movement led by companies that want to secure things, you know, more maybe in the future developers bring their own tools or ide's are just provided on demand on the cloud and enable collaboration seamlessly in a lockdown and, and lockdown and collaborative
0: yeah fashion. so you're very optimistic about this uh you touch upon many other technologies we won't cover all of yeah. them. you are a bit more cautious about uh generative ai or code generation code suggestion yeah. testing you're not in the pessimistic side of things nope, there, no, definitely I, I, not but you, you can you elaborate a bit about so, your so maybe I'm biased a little bit
1: where I just have so much experience in kind of open source compliance and a lot of the licensing issues and all that stuff that historically we faced, uh, Sko lawsuit days, all these old school, I'm just with this whole generative AI stuff. I'm like, oh my gosh, like, is there some kind of weird, like imagine like something like the Sco lawsuit with the tools that we have, you know, today, like someone claiming that, you know, Hey, this code was copied from something. Like, it just seems, I feel like there, there's a lot of legal questions that are kind of being answered. A lot of the lawsuits right now around Copilot yeah. are around like open source attribution compliance. Uh, there's also crazy stuff on um, generative uh, AI regarding images. You know, yeah. the Disney's of the world. I don't know how comfortable they're going to be with like, hey, this generative AI made like some kind of kind of weird uh, character that kind of looks like Goofy but not, but maybe not. I, like, I feel like there's going to be some weird questions that have to kind of be answered here. I just don't see. You know, people are gonna use cats out of the bag. Like we actually have yeah. CNCF projects and I know other projects oh, nice. are already using uh things like Copilot or uh PR like PR assisted um, you know, uh tools that are generating PRs to kind of fix things. Yeah. And developers like it. It's kinda of like, you know, dependabot. People love me some dependabot and it just updates some dependencies, but I would also like, you know, maybe dependabot could be smarter and do me like fixes yeah. on, you know, code or rewrite something for me using, you know, some cool new library that I had to know about. So this is going to happen because developers are inherently lazy and they love anything that saves, uh, you know, them time. That's worth oh, logging multiple. Exactly. Whole weird shit that just gives me, unfortunately, like I just, it'd be like PTSD from the early open source yeah. days, of how much compliance attribution, you know, matters. And I think part of the open source spirit is we love using everything out there, but we truly, really care about attribution and respecting the scope
0: of of, of the license. So so your concern is not for the end user, which would be the software engineer that I think you just hinted that it would again benefit from this as he or she would do about from our our cloud native ADE. And let's touch upon what benefits of that. But before that, so to sort of like settle down, what your concern is, is more from being yourself a community leader and open source leader. Stakeholder, incumbent, and and leader too, uh, from, the, from the ecosystem perspective, yeah. right? Because respect for licensing would yeah. be is, is something that keeps the ecosystem uh, healthy. Why right. exactly. important? Yeah, absolutely. And you kind of look at it like right now, Copilot. You know, you
1: kind of have this like massive model that was trained on a bunch of stuff, right? What is interesting is uh, I don't know if you saw uh, AWS announce something called Code Whisper. Yes, which is their kind of uh, generative code assistant. What's interesting about Code Whisper? Is properly trained on only you know open source you know code and then mm-hmm. properly does attribution references when you're actually using it so it actually tell you what it's copied like that to me like i would recommend that almost from day one because that kind of is more in line with kind of the open source ethos and spirit and it seems more legally kosher and compliant uh, i believe copilot and all the other tools will eventually move that way but like okay. my, that that to me is like these tools are useful they're being used by folks i truly think they make developers more useful. So they, instead of like working on boilerplate and other things, they're able to actually focus more on the problem. It's just like, let's build these tools and use them in a way that aligns with the open source spirit and truly respects the licenses that we're,
0: um, you know, using and, and consume. I wonder if Whisper is using SPDX in the background to double check the licensing unclear but maybe you could go find yes, someone exactly. from uh,
1: from, uh, from the team here that i'm sure they have someone but uh, i was very pleased when i saw that uh announced i'm like yes that's this is the way it should uh be done i personally haven't tried it out yet but um it, it this you know from the announcement like this is this is the way it should it, it, sh- it should be done
0: you don't do any more coding professionally right yeah, full time.
1: Absolutely not. Do I like hack on the landscape, right? Little bitty tools that make the lives of our maintainers easier and so on. Absolutely. I still maintain the CNCF landscape, which is the hilariously uh, static based <laughs> things. I, I, you know, I'll do some experiments. Like I'm I'm spending a lot of time learning around, you know, doing things around WebAssembly these days and kind of seeing how it fits in the cloud native ecosystem, how it integrates with Kubernetes and some of the kind of downside there. So uh, definitely, you know, what I would say, like a typical CTO does, you don't find CTOs, usually full time coding responsibility. It's just mostly they should teams. They're looking for like the next innovative thing and prototyping. You know, that's a typical what like a you know office of a CTO uh would would, would, would do.
0: But what have you seen then that software engineers like about code generation within the Cloud AD of AD IDE or the editor that they really like? And I've heard it's simple yeah. bootstrapping, like,
1: hey, I need to go create a, C- uh, a basic ci a C- I- CLI app for Golang that does this thing, except it, like it will just go spit out, you know, and stub things out for you very, very quickly. And we'll probably get it 90 to maybe even 99%. Right. It just saves a lot of time from you. Just like basically two things, Googling and finding random stuff on yeah. Stack Overflow or Googling and finding random examples. Uh, you know out there to basically copy or bootstrap like a template from. Um there are some other tools that I've started to play with. Uh, uh, the um <laughs> the uh, the source graph folks. I don't know if you know them, but yes. like the code search. So uh, they have this tool that I've been playing with a little called uh, it's like Cody. It's like a yeah it's like a it's like a, like you remember like a little Microsoft Word little clippy thing, right? You have like your little Cody pop up and start like talking to you, like analyzing your code and give you recommendations. That I think I, I think that will eventually be how software is developer you okay. kind of have these assistants that you look at, make recommendations. You know, we've done this in like, you know, if you looked at the uh, Eclipse ID or any like modern ID IntelliJ, you know, behind the scenes, they're indexing, running, making recommendations Oh, you we should refactor this. Oh, a new version of JVM, you should go use this feature. You know, so it's so like developers are kind of used to this model. When you have super intelligent code assistant agent that can do a lot more and you could kind of communicate with developers will use it because at the end of the day, if I don't have to go like Google and scour, you yeah. Um, you know, stack overflow, yeah. whatever, and it's just there available for me suggested, of course, you'd be like, auto apply fix. Cool. Thanks, Mr. Like clippy or Cody thing. Like I will,
0: uh, I will accept that suggestion. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, that's. What about what about testing test creation? Actually, that that's a bit of an advanced use case. So there are uh, I know there's there's actually some startups uh, out there. Uh, uh, you know I have an
1: old colleague of mine uh, that old actually sort of a bit of a you know friend uh, in, in Austin, kind of early WeWork's uh, gentleman too. That has a company out there called Diff Diff Blue, right? I think Correct. so. Uh, there's a lot of folks doing interesting things uh, regarding using AI to generate tests automatically to find holes and issues in code kind of like smoke, te- like some kind of like modern of smoke testing for sure is an amazing uh, use case. Uh, and actually, before all this crazy copilot stuff, people already saw value. It, it do have it. like generate me some stuff that could go find crazy holes or improve maybe how fuzzing or testing them I'm done. So like, those folks are already ahead of the curve and will probably go take advantage of some of these new tools. Sure, lots of value. Dealt. Again, developers are lazy. If I could get some tests generated, great, it finds me could find me you know issues
0: yeah okay so, uh, yeah i can see a dramatic improvement in security with well, quality rather yeah uh, but well, actually but yeah. Yeah yeah, yeah 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 okay let's move on to actually so i did interview matt ray back in kubecon north yeah. america in October. i'll link that in the show notes yep. and we because he works for QCost and he collaborates and maintains if i'm not wrong the open cost initiative yep. Yep. was one yep. of yep. them yep. one of the maintainers so we touched, we elaborated on that topic enough. Yeah. But you mentioned in your protections document that you were very interested in the overlap between cost management, yeah. which is a hot topic. Yeah. There's plenty of people either moving out from the cloud, not many. Yep. But, uh, for, for, I should, I should say, the cloud provided by the hyperscalers, which have a huge market margin yep. in a way, but also most, almost 80% of the people running there are very happy, but want to optimize the yep. C- cost. Cost. And yet but you but you the prediction that you make is the overlap between that and sustainability or the overlap between the interests of reducing the yep. um uh, expenses. Oh, yep. Yeah, exactly. And the interest in what machines are running, what's the carbon output of these? Yep. So there's an interesting project in this CNCF, correct me if I'm wrong, that is called Silver or not? Is it not? Oh uh, that's part of the Linux Foundation. Oh, okay, yeah. Yep, yep. So does that well anyway, just what what's your prediction about that?
1: So so, 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 so there's like, you know, uh, like things like FinOps and cost management, all all that's really about like optimizing, being more efficient, saving money, potentially using great resources, things like green ops or whatever you want to kind of call it like carbon aware stuff. That's less necessarily about cost and just like using greener, you know, maybe, maybe being a little bit more efficient, but necessarily like it actually could be more expensive. Like, you know, if you actually use. Maybe uh, a data center or service that is greener. Maybe that's actually going to be cost more, you know, expensive than having yeah. something that maybe a little bit dirtier or whatever. available, or whatever, maybe that's not the right way to think about. Like, there, there for sure is going to be an overlap here because there's a lot of regulation happening, like in EU, where a lot of folks are like, hey, you should be using greener, you know, things. And they're actually developers actually do care about this. I talk to a lot of maintainers. Yeah. You think that maintainers are just oh, they just like code and are lazy and use stuff. They would love to take advantage and use greener you know, options for, for software. So I think what's going to happen is the cost management folks obviously have a lot of popularity now because, you know, everyone's going to yell that by their CFO or leadership, like yeah. why are you spend this money, this need to be cheaper. We're in this weird, weird macro recession yes. type thing. So that's already happening. Uh, people are realizing, realizing, holy crap, we need standards or specs because managing costs across not only clouds, but like other third-party services yeah. like Fastly or a cloud or your observability stuff, theater, like that, all, that all stuff uses money, spec it out. So you could actually start doing interesting analysis and automation. The green ops folks, same type of thing. Like they're just, to me, it, they're just like another layer of like, you know, this cost management spec. And so people are just going to, you know, take that information, maybe a service now also has information of its carbon footprint. And then tools can now intelligently decide like, Hey, maybe as a company, I care about, being as green as possible and maybe money is no object. So let's just yeah. do that. Some others will like, want to strike a balance, right? So I think this stuff will eventually kind of intertwine, even though they do truly have two different things. Like it's not only about, you know, saving, you know, money on the, on on the, on the like green ops, like green ops could
0: actually cost more. And, but also the depth of the problem, right? In the, in the sense that cost management starts and finishes in the cloud, right? You, yeah. you're trying to measure how much compute yeah. costs storage costs yeah. networking costs yeah. right and then yeah. those sure. third the, vari- the party services like your like, heard, yeah your tools your app maybe you have cdns like that all this stuff costs, costs but it's costs. kind of a uh, fair quote uh, here easy to measure that while carbon emissions or uh, impact on the on the okay, would require from the providers of compute network and storage to provide you with all the supply chain because obviously the most important thing there is not the money that the hyperscalers are making from those three things those three primitives but actually how they are powering their own clouds and i'm not sure that transparency levels yet here right it's
1: not like some of them do have like hey this data center in whatever iceland is you know carbon neutral right so like there, there are some there, but none of the, like, none of this data is like very freely available. And I think what you're going to see over the next, you know, few years is people basically trying to figure out how do we kind of reverse engineer this, or do we just kind of get cloud providers now finally, you know, winning and supporting things like open costs and like providing standard, you know, APIs, it'll be a matter of time where it'll be like, Hey, on top of standard cost management, you know, APIs are here. Can you also give us carbon information along with yeah. this data? So it's. I think it's just going to happen, you know, naturally, but I think you still need to have that first, like basic, like what is the cost of, you know, a service compute, storage, et cetera. And then will be metadata associated with those in terms of carbon, uh, footprint. But yeah, I know I do actually do a couple startups that are, like try to do this like manually and coming up with the data sets, oh, yeah. uh, for, okay. for, for these, uh, most of them are, are out of, uh, Europe, uh, and know, how do they present the data? What do they, do, do you know about the, they have like a service that to like, their have, experience. They, have, they have like an, AP, you know, they have like an API, okay. that call, like right now I think it's meant to be like B one of them. I'm trying to remember company they're out of Switzerland, but like, they're supposed to, it's like B2B, like use their API and just use whatever you want to it. If they're trying to kind of collect that data. They, they assume that that correctly right now, it's mostly proprietary, but I think over time it will, it, it will be, I think cloud providers will share this because I think they're going to be regulated in most likely maybe the EU or some other, you know, regions first yeah. to, 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 have this type of, um, you know, in, in, in information,
0: which takes me to the last question, yeah. actually. So the, the, this driver for greener yeah. compute and cloud, uh, and networking yeah. and everything is as, as pushing for transparency on on that sense, right? Yep. On, on on sustainability and green yep. ops, right? Yep. But also, it's driving the design of architectures, right? Of hardware architectures, right? because we've got what are the three main incumbents: Intel, x eighty six, x eighty six, ARM. Yeah, and risk. There's five now. Exactly. Yeah. So, is there a vector? Because I, I said it in an order that so talks about them being released. So, Intel is the oldest. Uh, ARM is the next. Yeah, yeah, yep. Yep. youngest. Yep is five is very new so, yeah. is there a vector through the crosses those three that says well that that yeah that describes them as greener or not uh
1: you know i don't know if we're there. i mean yeah like depending on like how far low do you want to go in terms of like the stack of like you know how is it is a data center truly carbon neutral does that include like the how far down that supply chain does that include the actual manufacturing yeah of chips and so on so i don't think folks are that uh yet but things obviously you know we'll see what happens there like you know i you know I'm trying to follow the space closely uh and kind of you know we're seeing a little bit more risk five uh, yeah. pop up in our ecosystem but um I don't think anyone's kind of really thinking it at that from like the carbon neutral which you know potentially is greener or the others okay. um but um we'll see so you know I'm not necessarily the right person to talk about because I'm not knee deep in the risk five ecosystem but I'd go you know find someone to kind of chat about that but I could definitely see over time developers you know they are very kind yeah. of doing the right thing. They tend to care about things. You look at KubeCon here, great community, a lot of people, they always want to kind of ensure that they're doing, you know, good in in the world and they will choose, you know, greener options as that become aware. If RISC 5 becomes a dominant way that developers yeah. basically build, you know, on, on things, then yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if you start seeing folks care
0: uh, about that. Uh, Actual last question. Yes, yeah, right. is uh, We have a KubeCon. No, no. Kubernetes. I I, I remember interviewing, actually, again, uh, Norman Grace Lee at uh, KubeCon North America October last year, and he I think he said in that interview that Kubernetes had become boring, but he meant it in a good way. And you may mention in your predictions, I think you you guys are touching on the same topic, which is maturity of Kubernetes, but you use a different metaphor, which is the Linux moment. Yep. So it's just Close this yeah. interview now. What do you mean by that? And yeah. So
1: back in the day, you know, when I started my career, you know, I started, you know, basically contributing to Linux, right? And I would go attend the Linux cons at, in the nineties. That was a 20, 30, like massive, crazy events. Everyone so excited about Linux itself, right? Like the contributing like drivers and other things. Eventually, what happened is everyone started to move up the stack mm-hmm. and like started to build you know, maybe they had like a service or sat like set, like whatever, like they had a specific bit of hardware that they were doing that like Linux ran. it. eventually what happened is like value chain. And so Linux con doesn't like really exist in that form anymore. We have Linux plumber summit, which is amazing. It's like three, four or 500, like Linux kernel developers that get together, you know, a couple of times a year, but like that ecosystem of, you know, folks getting together twenty, thirty thousand 30,000 folks just to care about Linux. It's gone. Yeah. It's all moved up good reason, for good reason, exactly. because, it's, because it's plumbing, it's a yeah, like, exactly. Kubernetes, I think is going to be that same okay. thing where, you know, what's interesting is about KubeCon is like KubeCon is plus cloud native con. It's not just yeah, the Kubernetes, right? So we have a lot of folks here that are, yes, new to our ecosystem, right? 50% of folks here oh, today yeah, yeah, that was... well, talk to them, right? They're like, Hey, we're using Kubernetes, but we also care about security, of things, observability or we're cost management folks, or Hey, maybe like heard about this web assembly stuff. So, like cloud native is more than just Kubernetes and containers. Like it's, it's a larger swath of thing than maybe Linux itself was. So we kind of hadn't, we're, we're like, I'm like, you know, I don't know if I'm trying to say, like, I'm trying to solve the problem of what happened to Linux when like, oh my God, Linux con went from like 20, 30,000 people to like, you know, not, not, not many. I'm trying to maybe like prevent that problem that happened with QCon and maybe learn those lessons so okay. we just have like a broader kind of ecosystem, but, but most people here aren't going to fully, fully talk about Kubernetes. we are going to talk about like, yes, we run on Kubernetes. It's everywhere. But like, here's our cool observability thing here. Here's our cool cost management thing that freaking uses ChatGP to, uh, whatever, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, here's my cool security thing. So it's like, it's it's moving up the stack, you know, things like, things like backstage IDPs, um, you know, you don't even need Kubernetes. Like, like you could use that stuff with, without it, right? So we just have a broader yeah. kind of ecosystem that that value chain is, is moving up. Uh and then the thing that we kind of struggle in CNCF and KubeCon and Cloud native is you know how to how to be like everything for everyone. is a very difficult uh you know problem. But yeah, I definitely recommend talking about it. It's it's more than just like that core infrastructure. Kubernetes, I think already is having its Linux moment, uh just evident based on all the stuff that is happening. Um yeah you know here here.
0: Yeah, yeah, now they seem to be focused on security, another because uh, the project the project is so mature. Yeah. Um, uh,
1: observability, you know, things like future crazy stuff like WebAssembly, which they really have like really nothing really to do with with Kubernetes the way it's Kubernetes plumbing, right? Yeah, it's part of plumbing potentially. But like we're having we're we basically built a modern uh like innovation admin at CNCF where we're really like, yeah. democratizing future open source infrastructure technology mm-hmm. and laying the all experiments and people are getting value out of it. They're contributing to what they care about. They like the stuff that stabilizes, then they move up. And my goal in this organization is to be able to provide an ecosystem that enables kind of both, both surprise, both have like the core stuff that's stable and has mature, but also allow for that, like CNCF sandbox innovation and see what kind of sticks and have people kind of, you know, grow up because that's truly what our, you know, end users want, you know, uh, you know, anyway, they want innovation. Which and also stability, which yeah. you know, inter, you know, have that like natural, not na- natural tension, yeah, that paradox, yeah,
0: anyway. <laughs> yeah. Well, Chris, thanks so much for being with us, and uh, yeah, congrats. I can attest for the vibrant spirit that is, you know, across the the board here in Amsterdam, but but throughout the the latest Cube cons too, so and cloud native cons, so.
1: Thank you so much. No, absolutely here. And we're gonna have a lot more room in Paris uh, next year in, in Europe. Uh, please also register and sponsor early because we truly hope we don't sell out uh, again, but we'll be able to fit many more many more folks next year. So thanks. Uh, thanks for having me. And it's great to, great to get to talk to you again.